It is such a joy to be back with you. I, I've had the pleasure of being a, um, a guest here many times over the past 10 years or so. And so it's really lovely to be back um, filling in for Jeff while he's wrapping up some really needed time of rest following leading the pilgrimage um, this year. And so thank you for welcoming me and thank you, Jenna, for your welcome of me as well. It is with great pleasure that I get to serve with Jenna because of our, our history at SFTS and getting her here. And so I'm, it's a joy. It's a joy to be here in, in worship with you all. Let us listen now to God's word to us from the Christian scriptures, from the Gospel of St. Luke, the chapter of, uh, the ninth chapter. You may follow along in the bulletin or listen as it is read. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to, Jerus to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, on their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Rabbi, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Humanity has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Rabbi, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the sovereignty of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the sovereignty of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So we have these two texts from the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures that made me kind of, when I was thinking a couple couple months ago, as you know, Jeff likes to plan ahead. So as I was thinking about what I was going to uh, be thinking on for these texts, the, the thing that came to mind, so the title of my sermon was, Should I Stay or Should I Go? That was two months ago. I had no idea what was going to be coming up. And so it's so ironic to me that this past week we had the major news event of Britain deciding to go. <laughs> very literally go away from the uh, European Union. And so I thought, wow, I could not have planned it better, um, but the spirit moves in interesting ways. On a more sad note, the, this title kind of um, reminds us that we have to choose to show up. For the folks who mourn all those lost in or Orlando, today celebrating pride can be a thing that's very seriously uh, in doubt for them because it might be dangerous to show up there. It might be that somebody also wants to do harm here. You never know, but we are asked to show up. We are asked to choose to be present. Whether we are gay or straight, we are all asked to show up, to show God's love in this world, and that's a choice that we have to make. Shall we go or shall we stay? And so this, this title is just way more... Um, prescient than I ever thought that it would be. And so thank you, Spirit, for moving in these interesting ways. 
When I sat with these texts and I was thinking, um, what, what word is God bringing to me and then through me to you? A, a question arose in me about discipleship, because here we have several examples of discipleship. And I was wondering, what does it even mean? And I hear that you're a congregation that likes to answer questions, because I'm used to working with that. And so I'm going to invite you to, to share with me what, what does that mean to you? When you hear discipleship, what does it mean to you to be a disciple? What words or phrases come to your mind when you think of that? Learning. Learning. Yeah. Commission. Commitment. Showing up. Showing up. Following. Following. Trust. Trust. Yeah, trust. And when we think specifically about following God, are there other things that come to mind? Devotion. Mm-hmm. Devotion. False prophets. Ah, false prophets. Dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Risk. Risk. Fulfillment. Fulfillment. We see there are positive words here. There are words that are a little more challenging for us. All these things are held in this one idea of discipleship. We get the, the call to love God and to love our neighbor. That is the great commandment that Jesus says boils down all of the gospel. We get the call to help the outcast and the marginalized. We also get the call to forgive, which is sometimes very hard and needs to be given over to God. We get the call to not give power to anything other than God in our life. Doing these, following these things, these calls, can be countercultural, which puts us at risk, which can be dangerous, because we are having to go against what our culture tells us. And it often involves making sacrifices. Some of these things are positive. Some of them are more challenging. But all of it can bring us fulfillment. But we have to make the choice. And we have to show up. So as you heard, I have just recently gotten back from the pilgrimage with Jeff and company in Normandy this year. And I was so lucky to have the opportunity to go last year with this same tour to the Burgundy region. And so all of the opportunities that I've had in these past two years going on these pilgrimages have also given me some insights into what it means to be a disciple. So I thought I'd share a few snippets, and I'm more than happy I could just talk and talk. I'm an extrovert, external processor, so I could talk a lot. But um, I could just talk to you a lot about these two pilgrimages. They just were so meaningful to me and in my own life of discipleship, but I'll share a few snippets with you. So when I was in the trip last year in the Burgundy region, it starts in this little town of Vaisalais, which has this amazing cathedral that has been for centuries a place of embarkation on pilgrimages towards Santiago de Compostela in Spain. It's one of the places that has been a portal for people going on this pilgrimage. But if you go there now, there aren't that many people there. 
It's a tiny little town, very far off a beaten path. It's not a way that many people go. And so for me, as I think about discipleship, I think about the idea that I'm asked to walk a path that not everybody's going to follow. And so if we find ourselves walking on the wide path, as the Gospels put it, we might start to wonder if we're actually following the way that God is asking us to. Because the wide path is not always the way that God is inviting us on. We don't always have to take the hard path. I'm not saying that it's always going to be that way. But we might stop and question, is this really the way that God is inviting me to go in my discipleship? Last year and this year, we had the opportunity to go to the uh, cathedral in Chartres, which is undergoing great efforts of restoration. Both years, the labyrinth was covered. Luckily, we have a replication of it here at Grace's Cathedral, so I've been able to walk it here instead. But from my time in the Chartres Cathedral, as well as many other places on the trip, I, I am very aware of seeking God not only in the sacred. The sacred space is, is amazing and really brings God's presence to a reality in my life. But we are also invited into the secular because Chart is a massive draw for people both of religious bent and not. And so it is in the midst of worshiping in this space where all these tours are taking place. You're trying to have a sacred moment and they come tramping through in big groups and, you st- and they stop and they stand right in front of you and you're going, okay, so I won't see that now <laughs> the way I was hoping to. Getting both the sacred and the secular, God's, God's in all of that. And God invites us to see God in all of that. And in all of this Gothic architecture, it is put together to draw your eyes upward to get you to look heavenly, to realize that God is pulling us up to the light. Light is very important in this architecture. All of the different places that I have had a chance to go on these pilgrimages have shown me that. This year we went to the area of Normandy, which is one of the major places that still remembers to this day the horrific losses of World War II. And before that, World War I, it was very devastated by both of those major wars. And so there was at uh, at all times this play between darkness and light, between deep sadness and yet deep joy, this call to see God in and through all of that. We had the chance to visit D-Day beaches and to visit the American Cemetery. Very moving experiences for everybody who was on the trip. I have never been to those, and so it was so moving to be able to see the ingenuity and the way that these, all these allied forces came together to work together to bring about peace in that area after much fighting. We were able to stay on the island of Mont Saint-Michel. I don't know if you can picture this, but it's this rock that at the top of it has this amazing cathedral. It's just an amazing place. And it has withstood attacks for centuries because it is well fortified and it sits in the middle of water most of the time. And so it has a great way to be um, cut off from those who would rather um, take it over. And so that helps me to understand that uh, our faith needs to be fortified 
It needs to have some space around it to keep it safe from those who would attack it. And the last thing that I'll bring up for my tours with the portals to the sacred groups is that we may be on, uh, surprised by the path that God takes us on. This year we were able to go to Amiens where the, uh, the cathedral there has its own labyrinth. And it's a very different kind of labyrinth than the one that we see at Chartres and at Grace Cathedral. It is very angular. It is made out of contrasting tiles of white and dark. Now, when I first went to walk this labyrinth, I was drawn to walking on the white tiles. Because, right, we're supposed to follow the light. Wouldn't you think? I got so frustrated. I kept walking and running into dead ends. I'm like, this is not how labyrinths work. From what I know, I'm supposed to be able to just follow it, and it will naturally lead me. So I had to go off. I kept trying, and I kept finally, I was just like, I'm obviously doing this wrong. So I walked away, and I looked at more of the cathedral, and then I came back. I thought, all right, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to try the dark tiles now. And that was the way that led me to the center and back out. How surprising it was to me to be asked to walk a dark road. Sometimes discipleship of God asks us to walk in the shadow, to realize the darker side of life, and to lift that up to God in prayer. So that, that image right there is the one that really is, is settling in my heart from my time in, um, in Normandy this year. And for that, I am deeply grateful. All right, so I will stop with the anecdotes about my travels. But I encourage you to, to find ways to, to do similar kinds of times away where you can really be filled, whether it's through Portals to the Sacred with Jeff and, and the other leaders or other ways. Setting time aside and really dedicating it to like being open to the spirit moving is super important. So I hope that you may find similar times. But back to our stories from the Hebrew and Christian um, scriptures that help us look into the idea of discipleship. We've got, we've got very different um, models here. We've got in the Christian scriptures, in the Gospel of Luke, three would-be disciples who actually ultimately fail. And so we can learn from their negative example uh, how not to be a disciple. Now, two of these would-be disciples seek Jesus out and say, I, I really want to follow you. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And then the third, Jesus actually invites, and yet the person is still not able to fully be um, a disciple of Christ. All of these fail not for anything that seems terribly egregious. It, they're all reasons that are very much a part of our day-to-day -day life and things that were expected of them to be good citizens. The first is wanting to follow Jesus, but Jesus knows that this person is not willing to give up what we might call creature comforts. Very basic things like a roof and somewhere to lay their head. That doesn't seem like asking very much, but Jesus says, actually it is. You need to be able to give that up too. If you can't, then you can't really be a disciple of mine. The next two are actually trying to fulfill the law by taking care of familial duty, burying their dead, taking care of their families, to which Christ says, no, that's not going to work either. I'm sorry. You have to let those things go as well, which would make them actually break the law 
So Jesus is asking them to do against what their law tells them. The reason that these things that are so very commonplace are not helping them to be disciples is because it is taking their focus away. It is keeping them from having the singularity of focus that they need to be able to actually truly be disciples of Christ. So then we get the positive model of Elisha, who's following Elijah. And interestingly enough, three times, Elijah tells Elisha, stop it, quit following me, stay here, make a life for yourself. And each time, Elisha says, no, no, I'm going to keep going. It's too important. I know, I know what it requires of me. I'm ready to give up that. I'm going to be a disciple. And so in the end, he is given what he asks. He is given a double portion which, of, of the gifts that had been given to Elijah. And so we have these contrasting views of, of people who think they want to be disciples but aren't truly able to, and one who really is. And so as we think about these models of discipleship, I invite us to consider what it is that discipleship means for us today in the light of all that is going on in our world. We are invited to have that same singularity of focus, not to get distracted by what our culture tells us is important. Our culture tells us we need to have wealth, we need to have status, we need to have things to, to be able to be accepted and to be seen as people who matter. Those things, we're told we need to have them. But we often get distracted by those things. Jesus doesn't say we can't have them. It's just that we shouldn't make those a priority in our life. It's that our focus needs to be on Christ. If these things get in the way of that, we need to let them go. And these models help us understand the difficulty that comes in being a disciple. Loving God and neighbor sounds, sounds great, right? I, I mean, I say it all the time. That is a core tenet for my life. But when we get down to brass tacks, loving God and loving neighbor is really hard work. It takes a lot of focus. And as we were saying earlier, forgiving others, as Jesus tells us to do, sometimes it's easy but most times it's really not. And it takes God's help to get us there. And standing up for the outcast and the marginalized, that's something, especially in this, in the Bay Area, that is a core value to who we are around here. But sometimes that requires of us more than we might be willing to give. And so Christ and God calls us to really stand up with and for those who our society pushes to the margins. Now, for those of us who are not in the outcast and marginalized groups, I encourage us to be careful not to get in the way, not to make it about us, and not to speak for these people. But our call in this is to create space and to give power to those people so that they can do the work on their, on their own. It's, it's a tricky line for us who are in the mar not in the marginalized groups to, to create this space but not to usurp it. It's very difficult to do that. So I encourage us to look for ways to be allies but not to step on toes in that. My 
big, one of my big sermon points that I, almost all of my sermons come back to this point at some point, so I'm just warning you, you've probably heard it before if you've heard me preach, is that we are invited to be co-creators of God's loving realm. That, the scriptures make that clear again and again. God is up to something, but God wants to work in and through us to get that done. We are invited to be co-creators of that. And what is that that God's creating? Well, in my reading of the scriptures, God's loving realm is a place where all have dignity and all are recognized as beloved children of God. And we are invited to make that a reality in, in our daily lives in the ways that we have the possibilities of doing that. This realm is a place where wholeness and healing are, are offered to all. There is no more suffering. There is no more fear. And this is a place, God's realm is a place where diversity is celebrated because it shows off God's creativity and marvelous artistic abilities. This is God's way of showing that God is so much bigger than anything that we can ever imagine. If we all looked the same and we all acted the same, that would show God just such a narrow bandwidth of what God is able and capable of doing. And so God gives us four Gospels that made it into our canon, and many, many more that did not, to show us there's not just one way to talk about God. There's not just one way that God is creating and making all things new. Diversity is important, and we need to celebrate it. So as we go out from this place today, I want us to remember that God is busy working. For us to look around and notice how God is on the move around us and to figure out how we can join with that work and make God's loving realm a reality, not just here, but throughout the world that is so desperately in need of it. Will we stay where we are in our comfort or will we go and join that work? Amen. Thank you.